Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild Podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have my friend Sydney joining me for a podcast. Now, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I always, I pronounced it Kreshbach? Krebs. Oh, Krebsbach. That's what I always get the B and the S backwards. <laughs> but I, I have dyslexia, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that I would do that. So now you are here in Spokane. But before you came to Spokane, you were living up in Alaska, which is actually how I originally got to know your family. Correct. Yes, that's correct. We, my parents and I, we moved up here on May 27. So a month ago, the reason for that was because both of my parents have retired from their jobs three months apart from each other. And my two older sisters, they left, they used to live in Alaska, but they live here now. So we wanted to be closer to my two sisters and my sister Kelsey has two young kids. And so my parents wanted to be around the their grandkids more. I totally get it. And I actually know your sister because your sister and I are sorority sisters. And so in a small little way, even when you were up in Alaska, I feel like I kind of knew you just because your sister had shared stories and her and I are social media friends. And so I feel like to a certain degree, I have known about you and had a relationship with your family. But so then when I found out you were in Spokane, so weird how small Spokane happens. We were both on a Zoom call for we are on an IDD, which stands for Intellectual and Developmental Disability Champion Network of People. So it's a group of people that either work in the disabilities field or are self-advocates like yourself or parents who have loved ones that have disabilities. And you joined the meeting for the very first time. And so when I saw you and then I saw your name, I was like, man, this sounds familiar. And then come to find out when you introduced yourself and you're from Alaska, I'm like, what a small world that now you're in Spokane. So we connected over coffee and I thought we should podcast. So here we are. So for my podcast, interestingly enough, some of the most popular podcasts in terms of who, what people like to listen to are podcasts from self-advocates because a lot of families and parents out there really want to hear the perspectives of people that are touched by autism because, you know, as parents, we're doing our best, but we don't know. We're just, you know, doing a research, talking to other families, getting information from providers when we're making best decisions for our kiddos that are on the spectrum. And so it's really important to get more voices, self-advocate voices like yourself, because that's what then tells us what interests are, what needs are, what resonates with you, what gaps we have. And so I'm grateful that you decided to be on a podcast with me. And we said, it's going to be very casual because that's just the way we roll, right? Right. Yeah. So now you did a lot of cool stuff when you were up in Alaska. So when you introduced yourself on that Zoom meeting and we're talking about your experience, I was like, dang, girl, like you go. So why don't you, for the people that are listening, talk about some of the things that you did when you were up in Alaska and how active you were in terms of self-advocacy. All righty. Well, for starters, I served on the Alaska Governor's Council on Disability and Special Education for three years. I worked at several different jobs in Alaska for the past nine years. One of them was 
the Alaska State Legislator, which I was a Senate page for three years. And most recently, I worked at Southeast Alaska Independent Living, short for sale for two years. And also, I did a leadership program through the University of Alaska Anchorage called the Alaska Land Without Walls. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, let's talk very about the very first one. So when you're on the Disability Council, that was actually a governor appointed position, right? So you do interviews. And then ultimately, the Alaska governor ends up deciding who's going to be on that committee, correct? Yes, that's correct. You applied on their governor's boards and commission website, and then you hand attach a resume, and then you get two people who know you very well, let's say legislators, to write you a letter of recommendation. And then the governor's boards and commission's office call you and set up an interview with you. And then they would interview you over the phone or in person because their main office is in Anchorage. And then about several weeks afterwards, they decide on who gets to serve on the governor's council. And then the governor makes the final decision. So that's really an honor for you because you were selected to be on. And you were on that in that committee for three years. Yes, for three years. So let's talk a little bit about what you did when you were on that committee. I served on three committees, the Autism Ad Hoc Committee, the Legislative Committee, and the Developmental Disability Committee. Not to mention, I got to speak at several different events like the Key Campaign Rally at our state capitol building in Juneau hosted Disability Pride in Juneau and statewide because of COVID last year. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It kind of could have kiboshed on a lot of cool things. But what made you decide that that was something that you wanted to pursue? Was it something that through school, somebody suggested it and you thought it would be a good fit? Or do you feel really called to sit and advocate in terms of legislation when it comes to people with disabilities? Like what made you decide, I want to do this? I guess just when I was working as a Senate page, I got connected with the governor's council. And at first they suggested I do the LEND program through University of Alaska Anchorage. And then during my second year as a page, I guess they encouraged me to apply for the governor's council because they think this would be a perfect fit for me. And then I could help raise my advocacy skills a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that was my calling card. And plus, I just wanted to serve on it while I was still living in Alaska. And plus, I was really lucky to get on it because not very many people get a spot on the council. Well, how many people are on the council? There were 25 council members. Wow. Wow. That's great. And that's statewide then? Yes, it's statewide. Everyone from all over Alaska, whether you're a self-advocate who's a person with an intellectual or developmental disability or a parent or guardian with a children with a disabilities are on the council. Very cool. So did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. What was your favorite thing about it? I guess my favorite thing about it was when I got to share my story through the Health and Social Service Committee meeting. That was my very first time sharing in front of a committee. Oh, really? So what type of information did you share? Just how that I, as a person with autism, I struggled to hold down a steady job because before sale, 
I worked at seasonal jobs during the summer and during the winter, and they would only last for four to five months. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that that's one, a big obstacle for people with disabilities is the employment piece? Yes, because people with disabilities, they just have hard time finding the jobs that they really enjoy. And because of their skills and qualifications and something that they really enjoy doing. And plus, some people just have a hard time communicating with people with disabilities because they don't tell them right away that, uh, hey, I have autism or I have this other disability. How have you felt? Are you comfortable like just through your life? Have you always been comfortable sharing that you have autism or is it something that you've been not very open with because you feel like you need to keep it more private because of how people would perceive you? When I was a teenager, I felt uncomfortable sharing it because I was just afraid of getting bullied in school. I thought people were going to call me names or I was going to get target in school or people would just treat me badly. But then when I reached into my early adulthood, my early adulthood life, I just finally accepted like, Hey, this is who I am. Like, this is what I've dealt with my entire life. And then I started sharing to people that, Hey, I have autism. I shared my story when I was 21 that I have autism. Yeah. Well, you know, it's never too late, but I, I, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that feel conflicted as to whether or not they should share their diagnosis. Do you feel like after you shared your diagnosis that when it came to employment, there was more opportunities available and that without them knowing that maybe they weren't seeing you and supporting your, your needs, like in terms of the workplace, or do you think it didn't have any different, didn't make any difference at all? At the beginning, when I, I did not tell employers that I have autism because I just thought they were not going to hire me because they couldn't handle a person with autism. But then when I would, when I got hired at job, at jobs, then later on, I would just share them, Hey, I have autism and I'm different from everybody else. And, and did they, well, was it well received? Were they pretty easy to work with and understanding? Yeah, they were very well received. Like they still treat me the same before I told them I have autism. Yeah. So there really wasn't a a difference between how they treated you before and after? No. Do you feel like we need to work as a community to educate more employers about people with disabilities? Yes, because I just feel like people who are employed who have autism should like be well respected and be treated like everybody else. Like they should not have any quote unquote special treatment, but they should still like get the services that they needed. Yeah. Like accommodations, like they need some accommodations to maybe their workplace, but they should still be treated socially and emotionally like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think that's definitely in terms of what I've been really focusing on in the last, you know, 18 months is that we really need to be doing a better job at talking about autism in the community, not to mention because we want to build inclusive communities. So it's important for everybody in our community to understand autism and other disabilities. But also we could be doing a better job at talking to employers about autism and what assets 
a lot of our family members can bring to their organizations because, you know, while be it, we might need some accommodations just in how we do our jobs. We have so many skills to offer the workforce out there because you have skills and abilities. I mean, being on these committees and councils and just even using your voice is a skill. And not everyone with autism has that ability to be able to communicate in the way that you do. So you're really doing a lot for the autism community in general, because, you know, as John and I, we have my stepson, Cooper, he's 18 and he's significantly impacted. So his ability to communicate is maybe what a third, three-year-old level, maybe. Yeah, maybe a three-year-old level. So I really appreciate the fact that you spend time advocating for yourself and others on the autism spectrum, because again, Cooper doesn't have a voice. And so it's really nice to know that you're out and you're serving on these committees and you're making a difference. So from a mom to you as a friend, I'm just telling you, I'm very proud of you. And I just think it's wonderful. Now in Washington, you know, I have talked, you actually have applied for that position in Washington. Have you heard anything about the, cause you already did your interview with the preliminary panel, correct? Yes, I applied to be a council member for the Washington State Developmental Disability Council. I had an interview with them on June 23rd. So I'm just still waiting to see on the final decision if they are going to let me serve on the governor's council here or not. And it could just take several weeks, which is which is all right. It's fine. But I guess the, the long waiting process might take might take a while. Yeah. Well, if I know anything about Washington, nothing in government happens fast. So <laughs> I just, I mean, am I wrong, Anna? Like, yeah, things happen. Things take a while in our state. I don't know. Maybe Alaska works faster than in Washington, but it's good that you're being patient. So let's talk about school. Do you mind if we just jump back to your time in school? Sure. Now you're from Juneau, correct? Correct. Yeah. So in Juneau, it's actually a pretty small, I mean, geographically it's small, but population wise, it's actually got a pretty decent population. 32,000 people was how many people live in Juneau. Yeah. So it might be small in terms of square footage, but it, there's still density wise, there's quite a bit. I'm guessing. So you did some therapy, some interventions when you were younger. Correct. Because my socials and communication skills were pretty slow when I was around one or two two or three years old. Like I didn't start speaking a full sentence until I was like three years old. I got, my parents put me in a special education school for special need kids when I was three years old. Okay. Now, do you know how old you were when you were officially diagnosed? Eight. I was only eight years old. Really? Actually, I would say that's actually kind of late. So you were in a developmental preschool because of your communication delays, but you didn't officially get diagnosed until the age of eight. Correct. My parents and my sister, Kelsey, they took me to Anchorage where we met up with several different neuropsychology doctors down there and just to figure out why I was delay on my my social skills and my communication skills and why am I having trouble focusing in school. And just when they would ask me a whole lot of questions, it was just intimidating, especially for an eight-year-old. Yeah, no, I would bet. I would bet. Now, are you surprised to find out that for years and years, like even when you were little, they were using criteria for boys to screen you for autism? Are you surprised to hear that? Yeah, I was surprised because I'm a girl. Exactly. So it's only actually just been in the last couple of years that they've 
finally really started putting out there that, hey, everybody, we kind of made a mistake here. We should have a male criteria screening for males and then a criteria specific to girls, which makes total sense. And maybe had they had that when you were younger, that maybe you would have been diagnosed sooner. But regardless, you still were in earlier intervention services because you were in the preschool for communication, right? Correct. And then you got your official diagnosis when you were eight. And so what did therapy look like after that? Did Were most of the interventions that you got just through school or did you do anything outside of school? Most of the interventions were done in school. Like I remember seeing a speech therapist, like I think once or twice throughout the week. And then I had a, I think it was a special education teacher to help me with my math because my math was not really good. <laughs> hey, my math is not very good. So we're in the same boat there. So I still, I think I can officially say since I had to be like a teacher for my children during COVID that I am about a fifth grade math level. Just so you know, people, I am an adult that does only about fifth grade math. So, and I'm not ashamed of it because I'm still a successful person. You just have dif- different skills, right? So my skills lend itself to having the gift for gab, which is why I do a podcast and advocate for autism. Right. But right. I don't have to do math math stuff. Boy, were they wrong when they said, you're not going to grow up and be able to have a calculator in your pocket. And it turns out I do. It's called a cell phone. So <laughs> ah, joke's on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so math was always hard. And so you just did stuff through school then. Yeah. Because my math was very low in, after third grade and I was reading at a first grade level, I had to go to summer school for a month to help with my reading and math. Oh, so did that help? Yeah, it did. Um, I was able to move up to the fourth grade like all my other classmates and friends. Nice. So when now, is it safe to say that in Juneau, they don't necessarily have a whole lot of providers? I've heard from other families that part of the reason why they moved down to Washington was is that they don't have access to as many therapy providers that are living in the state of Alaska because you have as takes a special person to want to live in Alaska. And so it's harder to access services other than what's that's available in school. Is that fairly accurate? That is very true that some people would want to move out of Juno because Juno has very small, limited services for kids who are on the spectrum. Um, But you are happy with the services that you got? Yeah, I was happy with the services I got. Is there anything that you would do differently looking back? Is there anything that you wish that maybe you had access to that were just it was just difficult? Just the only thing that I wish things would have gone differently was when I got... I wish I would got diagnosed sooner rather than later in life. So oh. that way my parent my parents and I could get access to services a little bit sooner. Sure. Yeah. Do you think it would have looked different? Yeah, it would have looked different. Okay. Gotcha. So then as you're going through school, like how did you so school was academically challenging at times. But aside from that, like what did school look like? Did, did your friends know in school that you had autism? They kind of knew from the get-go because there were times I would get pulled out of class to get see a special education teacher or counselor, or speech pathologist or speech therapy. Mm-hmm. And also, I had an IEP teacher to help me with my schoolwork. Gotcha. Oh, I love IEP teachers for that. I'm telling you. Caleb has a lot of specialists that work with him. And I'm telling you what, I love them, especially more during COVID, because when I was having to be the teacher, that was hard. So I have a high respect for special ed teachers and gen ed teachers. I'm not going to say I don't respect gen ed teachers because I do. 
So do you, in terms of like your relationships, you have like, I know it's probably been a bit of a transition moving down to Alaska. Has it been, have you been able to connect with people here socially, like your people that are your age? Not, not yet. Most people that I've met are around, um, I would say like middle-aged people. I know you're looking at me. It's okay. I'm 44. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's fine. You can say it. You're right. I am a bit older than you. In fact, I'm actually quite a bit older than your sister too, because while I say that we're sorority sisters, I graduated in 1998. So when we're sorority sisters, I I met her long after I was graduated and she was still an active member of, of Alpha Z Delta. So let's be fair. You were a very young lady and I am I am 44 and you're right. I am in life. And all of the people now that I'm thinking about that I've introduced you to are more middle aged. So you're right. So do you feel like there's not enough opportunities for you to meet? Do you feel like you, you don't have enough friends or access to social opportunities as a young woman in your early 20s? Because you're in your mid. Are you in your mid 20s? Um, I'm 27 years old, so I'm kind of, I'm in my late 20s. I I still think that's mid. I mean, let's call it mid 20s because I still think that's until you get to 29, you're not in your late 20s. So no. Um, so do you feel like, like in terms of coming to a new state and trying to connect with a peer group, do you feel like that's been difficult? Yeah. I'm not going to lie because coming to a new state was the hardest decision I've ever made because I had to leave. My whole life in Alaska behind, my friends, my job, governor's council, and people in the Alaska community who are working with people with disabilities. So it was a tough transition for me. And not to mention, other than my sisters, I didn't know a lot of people here. Yeah. Well, and now that we're connected, I'm glad and I'm I'm trying I'm gonna make a conscious effort to introduce you to some of our younger people and that that are closer to your peer group because that's one of my concerns is that, you know, you 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 did give up a lot. And part of the reason why you gave up a lot is because you could have stayed up in Alaska, but your mom and dad were moving down here. And it would have been really hard and expensive for you to stay up there alone yeah and i would not have family support down there i would have to figure out everything on my own yeah and how do you do you feel confident in being able to do that on your own or do you still feel like your family helps you a lot with that i feel like my family still helps me around when i ever have to think about stuff or do stuff even though i'm an adult who has the right to make my own choices we're also living a meaningful and independent life because of our choices Yes, exactly. And so, but that's one of those things is that you really had to make a very hard decision because you are a capable young woman that could have lived independently, but there are pros and cons of doing that. I mean, and when you're talking about a livable wage too, is that there's not a lot of employment. So were you working 40 hours a week when you were up in Alaska? I was only working 20 hours a week. So my hours got cut. Okay. And so that's one of the things that if I'm being honest, one of the concerns I have as a mom and as an advocate in the autism community is that I see a lot of, of, of young people in your peer group that have the ability to work, would love to work more than 20 hours a week, but that's a lot of times all that they're being offered. Now I think it's a little bit different because we're post COVID and there is such a shortage of workers right now. I think that that is slightly changing. But my other concern is just making sure that people with autism get paid a livable wage. Because my other thing that I have seen is that you might have two people doing the same job and the person with autism is actually paid a lower hourly rate, which really makes me mad. 
Have you noticed that? Or in Alaska, was that an issue at all? In Washington, I see it happening and it makes me mad. Um, at my job, when they had to cut back my hours because, well, they offered me a new position to be the peer support group specialist, meaning I would co-facilitate an autism peer support group with one of my former coworkers. They had to cut back from like half of what I used to make. So it was around like from $1,000 to like around $700. Mm. And that's hard. And that's when you then have to make decisions about living independently and a meaningful life. That is a really, you can't do that. I mean, I have to imagine while in some aspects, there's probably, it's maybe cheaper to live up in Alaska. Some aspects, not maybe in Juneau because Juneau, you have to, Juneau is remote. (laughs) It's very expensive to live in Juneau, yeah. especially when you're living all by yourself in an apartment. Yeah. And then there's the isolation piece, too, because now you're living by yourself. And where is your like your your social group? Right. You know, just so connecting with people to, again, have the meaningful life. That's, you know, social opportunities. You texted me um, over the 4th of July and you were like, I'm bored. Like we should hang out. And I was unfortunately at the lake, like way up towards the Canadian border. And I was like, darn it. But that's the thing is I actually really appreciated the fact that you were like, hey, you know, can I hang out with your family? For the fourth, because I was like that putting yourself out there and trying to create those opportunities are is wonderful. But a lot of people with autism, they're not as outgoing as you. You're very outgoing, which I love. That's such a delight. But a lot of people with autism are not as outgoing as you. And so trying to seek out social opportunities becomes hard. So then you have that isolation. They're not getting out of their apartment. They're just going to work and then going home. And that's not always a meaningful life either. You know, like uh, I well, um, you know. I'm Facebook friends with your sister and I see you guys getting like pedicures and stuff. And I'm like, that is part of having your community around you, whether it's family and then of course, friends, coworkers, that's what also lends itself to a meaningful life, right? An independent and meaningful life. And so, yeah, that's one of those things where I've been kind of, I've been wanting to ask you how you felt about trying to connect with other people. And I have felt like it's probably not been super easy. I mean, we are just coming out of COVID. And so mm-hmm. some people are still kind of laying a little bit low, but that's where trying to create those opportunities to you know, connect you with other young people. Now, do you, in terms of your friend base up in Alaska, do you tend to navigate towards uh, neurotypicals or people that have neurodiversity? So my group of friends in, in, back in Alaska was mixed. Like for people who I served on the governor's council with, like my friend Heidi, she also has autism and we were the only two people on the governor's council who have autism. And we have other people who are have cerebral palsy or IDD or other disabilities and also... Even maybe Down syndrome. Yeah, maybe even Down syndrome. People who are... Is a, not have a disability too. Okay. And also I just help my friends that I've known for, for years. Ever From since high I school? W- well, high school and middle school and elementary school. Oh, I would bet too, because I, you have a very tight knit community up there in Gino. So you probably would be friends with those, the kids that you've gone to school with all those years. So that was, wow, leaving all that behind and coming to Washington, like you're very brave. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit of what, what you've accomplished. Well, you've only been here for what? A little, you came down here in May. Yes. May 27th before Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. And one of the things I was surprised because I was going to introduce you to my friend Seema, who's the executive director of the Ark of Spokane. And she says, I've already met Sydney. So how did you meet Seema? I think we were in, she was in the I, 
IDD's Champions Committee with us. I guess I was just looking to see what jobs are out there. And also I applied for several different diff different positions at the ARC and just none of them were the best qualifications for me. And so I was kind of expressing my disappointments to Seema. And so she reached out to me and say, hey, let's meet up. I want to help you find the right position. Isn't that nice? Um, so I think that's really nice that Seema reached out to you and wanted to help you because again, you're coming into a new state. And so that actually makes me really excited. I have a little bit of goosebumps because it makes me feel like as, as leaders that work for organizations, it's nice to know that we're all taking time to help self-advocates find what makes sense. And so then you and I actually, I kind of stalked you through your sister. I sent your sister a message and said, oh my gosh, I was just on a committee Zoom meeting with your sister. You know, like um, I want to reach out to her, but just assure her I'm not a weirdo because, you know, reaching out, you've never met me before. So I was worried that you were going to think that I was a stalker or something. Or catfish. This could be a catfish I, moment. <laughs> You're so right. You never know. I'm so glad that you actually know that. That's actually been one of our other podcast episodes is we've been talking about how to protect your loved one who has autism from leeches, bad influences, and people that would do that catfishing thing because that's a real deal. So anyway, so that makes me happy. So any other, I also, oh, I introduced you to my friend, Bob, but you're right. He's middle-aged too, because he's my age, um, about Project ID so that you could learn more about Project ID. And I know they have volunteer opportunities, but um, Project ID is more of a rec center for people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that they're hiring, but it's always good to make friends with people and get to know some of the people that run these organizations, because then when they have an opening for a job, you'll pop into their head, right? Because they will say, oh, you know who would be a good fit for this? Sydney. Sydney would be a good fit. Let's call Sydney or let's send her the job application. So I think it's really smart for you to be networking and meeting a lot of different people at different organizations because you never know when someone's going to be hiring, including me. You never know. I could be hiring pretty soon. And, um, you know, because I have to be honest with you, I'd love to be able to have self-advocates working at the Isaac Foundation. So let's talk a little bit. Do you mind talking about boys just a little bit? Uh, don't worry we won't get too deep okay let's not get too deep we won't get too deep now so my question is like if like you're thinking about long-term plans like what's your goal you know like my son Caleb he's really mad at his little sister right now by the way because um his little sister who's you know going through puberty she has you know started being concerned about her armpit hair and la 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 and Caleb is so upset because he told me that she's ruining it for him because he wants to have a girlfriend someday. And uh, listening to Kelly's like puberty issues is just ruining it. And now he may never want to have a girlfriend because he didn't know that girls had hair under their arms. <laughs> and so I was like, oh boy. Anyway, we'll get there. We're going to work on this. But anyway, it made me think about, you know, I think it's great because Caleb is looking ahead and he's saying at some point I want to have a girlfriend. And my sister needs to quit telling me about puberty things because that's gross. And I don't want to know about girls things and, you know, armpit hair, which is a valid point. So then it makes me think about in terms of a young adult. So you're in your late 20s. Like what kind of future? Like, do you have goals or like, do you have um, aspirations that you obviously want to have a career? Because we've talked about that. And so we're working towards introducing you to people, getting you networking, figuring out what your skill set is and what you really want to do. But what about like when it comes to like life after that, you know, like I'm married and I have four kids and I wouldn't recommend it. Four kids is a lot. Yes. Um, but so like, what are your goals? Um, I just want to find the right person who is who's right for me and who is accepting and will treat me with respect and loving and caring. And even if it's a 
also a person who has autism like me or just a person who's does not have a disability but i just want to date that person for a few years and then get married to him and have a wedding in in city hall because Ooh. let's just face it weddings are very expensive oh. and there is a lot of drama in that oh girl now let me guess it's because you had two sisters and so when you've had have you been in your sister's wedding because you were down when your sister kelsey got married yes i was i was her maid of honor while ali was her matron of honor oh nice so you know exactly all the ins and outs of weddings yeah you're right i am this is my second marriage i've been married so this is my second marriage and anna and andrea who work here at the isaac foundation planned my wedding in what two weeks it was about two weeks it took two about two weeks. weeks i just got the dress i ordered it online sight unseen and i got it what the day before it was going to be a nail biter whether or not it was even going to come and if it fit and um oh and the wedding rings remember the wedding rings came by fedex the morning of because i ordered the wrong size and so i had to yeah so anyway uh yeah so i'm all for just doing a quick nitty-gritty very easy wedding and anna did my pictures it was so pretty and it was the most amazing day ever. I got everything that I wanted and it made sure of that. I got everything that I wanted. It cost what under $400, pretty much the food, the little snacky food that we did was probably the most expensive thing. And it was perfect. And my very first, my first wedding was a whole bunch. It was the, the typical wedding with lots of bridesmaids and all the things. And it was so stressful. And looking oh, back, man. I didn't enjoy the day because it was so stressful. And my second wedding was absolutely perfect. Oh, wow. So I completely support you in that decision. So and then do you see yourself trying to stay close to family or would you like to go if if you were to meet the right person and you were to get married in the small city hall ceremony that you're talking about and he was he was open to moving anywhere. Would you want to stay in Washington or would you consider going back to Alaska? So if we were moving back to Alaska then yes, I would go with him. But then if he would want to stay here in Washington with my, where my parents are, then yes, we would do that. Yeah. So you're pretty open. Yeah. I'm pretty open. You're so flexible. I have to be honest. My son, Caleb is not as flexible as you. He has very rigid ideas. He's already looking at neighborhoods that he's willing to have an apartment in someday when he's an adult. And as of right now, all of those apartments can are probably within like what four blocks of the Isaac foundation. It's pretty much four blocks. Yeah. Cause he just feels like he really needs to be close to mom just in case, because like what you're talking about for Caleb, his whole social group is his brothers, his sister, his cousin that lives down the street. And of course, like mom and the Isaac Foundation, he loves Isaac Foundation and um, some of the activities that we do. So for him, it just makes sense that he would be close to in proximity to the Isaac Foundation because those are all the things that he's comfortable with. So in a perfect world, if you could change anything when it comes to advocating for people with autism, what would be the first thing that you would want to wave your magic wand and fix? Because it really just chaps your hide and really frustrates you. Just how the way people are communicating into society, because I see that police, people like police officers, doctors and firefighters have a hard time communicating people who are on the autism spectrum because they just don't don't tell them that, Hey, I have autism. Yeah, that is true. Actually, I do a lot. I don't know if you know this about me, but I do a lot of training with first responders. Um, so I teach EMTs. So the medical world of 
first responders and then firefighters and police. But one of the things, too, is that we talk about is that some self-advocates are not comfortable telling people that they have a disability or that they're on the autism spectrum. And so part of it, it's like this double edged sword. We're trying to train all first responders so that they can observe some of the characteristics of different disabilities so that they can kind of understand or maybe be watching for some of the characteristics so that if a person doesn't want to disclose initially that they're on the autism spectrum, they're still using good communication skills or better communication skills. Personally, we could all modify our communication style and it would work all the time, no matter whether you're on the autism spectrum or you're not. It's just all in how we go about communicating. So I'm with you. I think that communication across the board is really a struggle. How do you feel about social media? Are you on social media at all? I'm addicted to Facebook and Instagram. I just like get on it like almost every day when I'm at home or when I'm out in the belt and just look at what's happening in the world. Yeah. So do you do that because it's again, seeing what's happening in the world and it gives you a better idea or is it that maybe like if you were more busy, do you think that you would um, be on social media as much? If I were more busy, no, I would not be on my phone as much. Like if I were at work, or during committee meetings, then no, I would not be on it that much. That is true. Cause I'm the same way. It's like, if I have free time and like when I'm on vacation or something, you know, you tend to be more on social media. Do you like TikTok? No, I do not like TikTok. Really? <laughs> oh, you're, I was going to say, you're surprising me young lady because, oh, Anna and I, we, we do actually Andrea too. We, we do love TikTok because it's just, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff. In, and if you train it right, it shows you only stuff that you like, like animals and funny things like that. But okay. So you're an Instagrammer and a Facebook. Um, do you find that you have, are you connected to uh, self-advocacy groups on Facebook so that it's like private groups of just individuals that have autism? Yes. Don't want to disclose this publicly because otherwise other people will know. Well, that's true. I mean, I think there's so many out there and I think that it all, you know, it can be just a small group of people. Like that's the nice thing about social media is you can add people to your group. They have to, you know, like fit into the right criteria. I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups too, because of just being a parent of a child with autism. So I'm actually in a lot of, cause I just keep getting added to more and more. But, um, so one of the things that I, I think is nice about that is, is number one, it's, it does create an instant sense of community. You all have something that's in common. Um, and it's a good place to ask questions or vent if you need to. Um, so do you feel like the social media groups that are specific to self-advocates, do you think that they're healthy and that you, it's a good place for you to be able to find social connection with other people? Or is it not really, you don't really get the social piece out of it? It's kind of in between because yes, you can commute, you can connect with people like through Facebook message and, or start a group with them. And then later on, you want to meet up with them and by Zoom or in person. But then also there's just a dark side with social media because there are just other people out there who can make com nasty comments about you and say mean and harsh words to you. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things that hurts my feelings the most is, is that you're right. That's one of the things I don't love about social media is, is I call them the Facebook trolls or the Instagram trolls. There's so many trolls out there that because they don't have to look you in the face and say those mean things, they think that they can say anything, even though it's totally unnecessary. And just it's just not a nice way to act. But one of the things that makes me really sad is that 
even when you're in some of these special groups that are specific to self-advocates, even amongst your own community, you still have mean people. So self-advocates can be very mean to other self-advocates. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like it's really, that's what actually makes me sad is that seeing how many mean things that other self-advocates will say to other self-advocates just because they don't have the same beliefs or they want different things like you, you know, want a certain set of things to improve and they don't believe that, you know, nope, it's fine. I don't want it to change. And I just think it's really sad that people are so mean. So have you found that to be the case in some of your groups? Yeah, there have been some cases, like some people would disagree on things that we want to improve on. But other than that, other people would just agree on what we what we like and what we don't like. And Do you feel like you all agree on what you like and what you don't like? Well, um, I noticed that... I noticed that there's been a conversation about ABA. Yeah. Like some people are not not going for it because they just don't believe in that science will help improve their children who are on the autism spectrum. Yeah. And I think that there's some validity to that. So some of the self-advocates that are really opposed to ABA, it's because back then when they're, they were little, ABA was done in a way that I don't think was always like awesome. It wasn't well done. ABA has come a long way. So if you look at traditional ABA now, it's actually very fun and play-based and activity driven. But again, if you didn't, if that wasn't your experience with it and it was really negative, I could see why they would say, oh no, nobody should do ABA because it's so horrible. But um, the hard part is just being able to see a situation from both sides. And so it always makes me sad when you have some self-advocates are saying, no, ABA is really good and helpful. And then you have other people saying, no, it's awful. And we should abolish it from the face of the earth. And it's like, well, that's a little extreme. It is extreme. Like, don't take it away from people who believe in it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think everybody has different needs. So for Cooper, who's, you know, he operates at like a three-year-old level, just in terms of communication and even socially and emotionally, you know, ABA is really important because we're still trained to teach him how to tie his shoes and button his pants and that sort of thing. So again, if we didn't have ABA, then we would have a young man who will never potentially learn those skills, you know what I mean? Which is really kind of sad. So yeah, he'll be lost and confused and still have the neural developmental brain of a three-year-old. Well, and that's just it. And don't you think everyone would want to learn how to tie their shoes so they're not tripping on shoelaces? Yes. Or be able to like wear the cool shoes that he wants that have laces. Like, I just feel like that, you know, that's you know, think about this. ABA has its place. So not all of it, like not all providers are awesome, but you know what? I've gone to a general, general practitioner doctor. And let me tell you, I have some good ones and I've seen some bad ones. Like it's like eye doctors or family doctors, you know, there's good ones and there's bad ones. You just have to find a good one. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so what's your next thing, your next plan for what you're going to do in Spokane? I mean, obviously we've become friends and you're still, I'm still introducing you to some people, but I, you're looking for a job. Yeah. During my time here, I've just been taking some time off and spending some time with family and just, just waiting for the right job to come along. And I'm just still waiting for the Washington State Developmental Disabilities Council to hopefully get back with me on if I made the council or not. And you know John Lemus? I do know John Lemus. Okay. So he reached out to me and he was hoping I could be a part of their Echo Autism cohort 
program through the University of Washington. They have a LEND program. Cool. I had a phone call this morning with Jen, who's the executive director there. And we had a nice conversation this morning. It was about like, I think 25 or 30 minutes. So I have a meeting with them on Friday at 1030. Nice. I think it's an interview mm -hmm. to see if I get to be on the team or not. So is that a paid position or is it volunteer? Um, it's a according to John, it's a paid position, but it's just only until I can find a full time job. So what kind of full time job would you if you could pick any job, what type of job would you be interested in doing? I would like to continue working at front desk position because I did that for two years and I was good at that. Or I could just do something like a peer support specialist or an advocacy coordinator. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. We just have to get you up to speed on Washington because I'm sure probably I have to assume that there might be some differences between how Alaska does things and Washington. So, yeah, it seems like here things are different. <laughs> well, yeah. I, some would say Washington is a little backwards when it comes to some things, but who knows? It might be pretty similar to Alaska. I don't know. So that was one thing I'd have to do some research on. But sounds like you're well connected and you're making more connections as each day goes by. So, yeah. so what type of front desk jobs are you looking at would be interesting? Like, are you talking like a front desk job at like a medical clinic or a front desk job at like a nonprofit or a front desk job at like a hotel where you interact with a lot of people? Just a front desk position and a nonprofit organizations or in the field of social work, because after being on the governor's council and working at sale, that's just something I enjoy doing. Nice. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So I can keep that in mind. And anybody who's listening, we have, well, I mean, a lot of people listen to our podcast. You would be surprised how many people listen, but not all of them are even in this country. So we actually have a pretty good listenership over in the UK and even in Australia. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't be a good job opportunity for you. But if you're no. in, yeah, unless it pays enough, you never know. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. You're right. But for those that are in Spokane or Spokane Valley and are listening and might know of a connection, they can reach out to the Isaac Foundation um, and we could help facilitate that if you're interested. So you never know, like doing a podcast is also another good way of getting the word out that you're looking for a job and you have lots of fantastic experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? Just if you move to a new city, I know it'll be a little scary at first. Well, really scary because you're creating a new daily routine, but just know that you're starting from starting over. You're starting from zero. And eventually you work your way back to the top. Yes. So you were operating at 100% when you were up there in Alaska. You moved down here and you were then at zero because, well, let's say five because you had your family down here. 5% because you had your family. Actually, maybe that's more like 25%. Let's be real. Family is important. Um, but so, but I am, oh, I'm so impressed with how quick you have gotten connected to John Lemus and SEMA. And now you know Bob Hutchinson at Project ID. And then, of course, to me. And you've already done your committee interview for the governor's council here. I mean, like, so you're like, I feel like you're getting up there to like 60 percent. Like you're getting there. Yes, you're getting there. And so this <laughs> podcast is probably going to get you to like 99 percent. Maybe not. But <laughs> oh, no. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Hopefully people are listening. Oh, believe me. People are listening. Like I said, our most popular podcasts are ones that are from self-advocates because, again, parents want to hear your voice and know kind of, you know, they want to know about your life and 
you know, like it gives us encouragement that, Hey, you know, it's hard work when you're raising a child with autism, but it's so worth it because look at how amazing you have turned out and, and you're successful. I mean, and you're going to just become more successful because you're putting yourself out there and you're trying new things. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.